Welcome to the PatioBooks.com presentation of Murder at Avedon Hill. My name is P.G. Holyfield. And now, episode 25 of Murder at Avedon Hill. Chapter 24 One Man's Quest The icon of Arjun, the child of protection. Arjun will drive his brother's chariot. Both he and Artus will enter Kalin's abyss. Third Collected Prophecies of Iberian Book 2 Chapter 1 Aaron Perti, royal prince and fifth in the line to the throne of Yu, lived. Aaron knew he lived because there was pain. He hoped the road between this life and the next wasn't this painful, in any case. For what his mind translated as an eternity, the prince could not open his eyes, try as he might. He heard his breath rattle and felt the blood rush to his head, not coincidentally the location of his most concentrated pain. Aaron tried to clench his fists, but could only move his fingers enough to feel the woolen blanket covering his body, confirming he was on his bed at the inn. Relax. Over time, Aaron realized that he was getting stronger with every breath. Aaron counted these inhalations and exhalations to take his mind off the pain. After reaching 30, he gathered himself and gave opening his eyes another try. Aaron succeeded this time and found Cousin Red standing over him, cup in hand. The prince didn't see anyone else in the room. But Aaron's voice cracked and then failed him. Red attempted to guess at Aaron's question. Aramis is outside talking to Father Joris. He should be back soon. Sounds like you had quite an evening, young sir. For a moment, Aaron had no idea what Red was talking about. But then the night began to return to him. The manor. Edward. Aaron then remembered his dream, and what he believed was the end of the dream. Apparently it had been more than just a dream. He successfully lifted his hand to his neck, finding a bandage. Red helped Aaron sit up and place his back against the wall behind his bed. You were attacked. A vampire by the looks of it. He held Aaron's head forward so the prince could drink some water from the cup. Joris was here and tended to your neck. You didn't lose much blood. Aramis must have scared it off, although he said he didn't get a good look at it. The water did its work. Aaron wasn't sure if he should speak to Red about it, but he had found his voice and required answers. I woke up. And it was pitch black in the room. I thought I was dreaming. Red leaned in like he was sharing a big secret. Aramis hinted that there was some sort of magic involved. 
I don't know much about demons, but apparently this one can steal away the light. Aaron tried to pull his head away from the wall, hoping he was strong enough to move on his own. He wasn't, and dizziness was added to the pounding in his head. Red gently held him down. Prince Aaron, you need rest. Father Jorce says you'll be fine later this morning, just a couple of psychs at the most. You just need to stop pushing right now. Worried at first by the use of his title, Aaron looked about the room one more time to make sure no one else was there. But Red had been whispering, and the sincerity in Red's eyes finally made Aaron relax. I, <clears throat> I just hate not knowing what's going on. Red smiled. Well, neither does Aramis, which means you'll both have answers soon, I'm sure. Father Joris and Aramis Cragen stood in a grassy area, out of view of the main road, to the east of the inn. Joris was animated, but kept his voice low. Now you know it, Bysa. Now you know. Joris rubbed his right hand with his left. Aramis could see Joris's teeth through lips parted in a mix of a smile and a sneer. To Aramis, Joris looked something close to pleased. I do not know anything, father, other than we are dealing with something that possesses magical powers, something that can snuff light and sound from a room, something that can enter and leave a room that I had sealed. The white-robed cleric first raised his arms at the sky, and then pointed a finger of his left hand at the monk. All things this vampire can obviously do! Damn you, monk! You can sit back and let this thing kill you and your friend, but I will not! Aramis sighed. What would you have me do, Joris? If this is a vampire master, you have as little idea who it is as, as I do, even if it is a townsperson or if it is an outsider. Bah! Someone here? I would know if it was someone here. It comes and goes without warning. The town walls are no barrier to this monster. We need to seek it out. Tonight. When the night is new. Why not now? Joris shook his head. We would never find it. It hides, most likely underground during the day. Given the leagues of mining tunnels in these mountains, I doubt we could find it if we had weeks to search for it. But it comes into town more often now. I can sense its presence when it is here, as I did when it attacked you and your friend. Tonight, after dusk, you will meet me at the cemetery. It will reveal itself to us, and we will strike it down. And you will see how deep this goes, monk. Aramis nodded. I will meet you. Your friend must come, too. We will see. He needs rest. He will be fine by then. In fact, he should be up and around by second bells. Joris snorted. Aramis knew Joris was upset that Lord Avedon had silenced the temple bells. What about Father Livestone? Should we ask him to join us? <laughs> that pup! He wouldn't sense a gate opening at the center of the town circle, monk. Joris turned and began walking towards the path that led to his home. You, me, and your boy. That's all I need to get you your murderer, Cragen. And what will you get, Joris? Joris stopped and turned back, pointing a finger once again at Aramis. You will see, 
and you will take my words from this place. No one believes an old man who cries out warnings from the wilderness, Adamus Cragen. You will be my voice and carry the word to those that would not listen to me. The undead are rising, and they are coming for us. Aaron opened his eyes once more to find the sun had risen. Aramis sat in a chair at the window, looking out to the north towards Avedon Manor. An empty plate of food lay in his lap. So, <clears throat> you saved me last night, did you? Aramis smiled as he stood up and walked over to the bed. He picked up a full plate of food from the bedside table and placed it on the bed next to Aaron. The prince was able to move himself into a sitting position and found he now had more use of his extremities. Now it is more likely I almost got you killed last night. While Aaron ate, Aramis explained what had happened. Aaron stopped him when he spoke of calling light from his medallion. That was you. I saw the light. I, I thought I was dying. Aramis smiled as Aaron asked, How did you? Aramis reached into his robes and pulled out the round piece of gold. Do you recognize it? It's your advisor's medallion. Advisor Rennick wears both of his on the front of his cloak. Yes, graduation within the Aaronic Order, the day that a brother of Aaron becomes an Aaronic advisor, culminates with the ritual forging of the advisor's medallions. An advisor always creates his own medallions. They are often attached to the hooks of a garment clasp, completing the cloak that is the mark of an ironic advisor. But how were you able to penetrate the darkness in the room with this piece of gold? Like everything else, it is tied to my connection to the River of Magic. Aramis stared at the small disc in his hand. I am not a wizard. I cannot shape or otherwise change the energies that make up the river. But as an ironic advisor, I can dip from the river, and I can, deeper than most. And that energy manifests itself within me as truth-reading, mind-walks, and the like. When I forged this medallion, I had only begun to truly understand my abilities. But the... Aramis searched for the analogy... The bucket I used to dip from the river was as large as it is now. Aramis could see the confusion on Aaron's face. I am sorry. Please let me finish. When I forged this medallion and its twin, I poured my heart into the act. Even though I did not understand it at the time, I imbued this piece of gold with a power that only now I have discovered I can call forth. It is not unlike Father Joris and is his holy symbol of Arjun. When the need arises, the river answers his call. He feels his power comes directly from Aj and his children, while I visualize magic as an invisible river that flows throughout Cairn. But in the end, it amounts to the same thing. Aaron wanted to ask if this application of magic applied to smithies and the weapons they craft, but his immediate concern was last night's events. So you called forth light from your medallion, and it drove the vampire away. Aramis thought for a moment before speaking. 
I do not know about that. I know the light from my medallion combated the magical darkness and the unnatural silence in the room. What I do not know is if your attacker fled because it feared the light, or, as I suspect, out of fear of being recognized. Aramis patted Aaron on the knee. What is important is that it did flee. Aaron touched the bandage on his neck. What happened to me? There are two puncture wounds on your neck. Based on how I found you on the floor, if it was a vampire, it must have sat on your right side, then leaned over you and bit the left side of your neck. Aaron described having his legs taken out from under him and being forced to the ground. Whatever it was, it was stronger than me, by far. I could not stop it. Aaron had finished eating and continued to stretch his arms. Talik and Lila, did, did they see me? Yes, but what happened here will remain a secret until we can find out who or what attacked you. Aramis smiled. Talik does not want the townspeople spreading gossip about an attack on his only guests. Lila is too scared right now to talk to anyone. I spent a good sight just calming her down. Father Joris tended to me. Aramis stopped smiling. Yes, he was in the cemetery and said he sensed an undead presence inside the town. He said he was drawn to the inn. I, I had sent Talik to get Cousin Red, and before they had returned, Father Joris burst through the door to our room, holy symbol raised, ready to strike. He sniffed the air a couple of times and cursed himself for arriving too late. He went to the window, opened it, and and sniffed the air some more. Do undead hunters normally track their prey by smell? I have never seen a hunter use his sense of smell to search for an enemy, but but Joris relied on his nose the other night as well. Only after he stood at the window for a time would he even acknowledge me and help you. Aaron found he was now able to sit without pain. What about my back and, and your arm? Did he tend to those as well? No, I made sure he did not see them. I did not want to answer the questions that would follow. Besides, the salve that Richard gave us is doing good work. Aaron stretched his back and arms again. Oh, I, I almost forgot. I dreamed again last night before the attack. Aramis crossed his arms. Was it a dream walk? I believe so. Aaron described the two main events from his dream the explosion at the library, and the bloody garment. When I was being attacked, I, I thought I was still in my dream. I couldn't hear anything after the explosion. What do you think my dream meant? Well, just like your other dreams, we, we will have to wait and see. I wonder, though, your attacker silenced this entire room during his attack. I'm wondering if that could have prevented you from hearing anything in your dream as well. Aaron didn't believe that to be the case, as there was light in his dream. He didn't share his thoughts, however, wishing to move on. So, can, can I get up now? Aramis's smile returned. I hope so. We have work to do.
You've been listening to Murder at Avedon Hill, a podcast novel written and produced by P.G. Holyfield. Please visit pgholyfield.com for more information on this novel and the author. Most of the music in this podcast generously provided by Shira Common through Magnatune.com. Magnatune.com, they are not evil. Additional music generously provided by Kevin McLeod through his website at Incompetech.com. Be sure to check out Murder at Avedon Hill at Podiobooks.com. And if you are so inclined, please post a review at iTunes, at Podcast Pickle, or at Podiobooks.com. Audio comments about the podcast can be left on the Cairn line at 704-315-5884. Or go to pgholyfield.com and click on the Call Me button to leave comments. This podcast is copyright 2007-2008 by P.G. Holyfield and is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivative Works 3.0 U.S. License.